Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. The coronavirus shutdown is exposing a lot about our society. We live in an era where there is a constant flow of partial information without the truth. Information is not the same thing as truth, and we really have to contend with that. Our current world lacks the interest and the attention span to sift through the flood of information and find any truth. This era holds that truth is only really real if we believe it. And of course, this is very unfortunate because it makes us weak as a people and it puts us in a position where truth cannot be found. And as the title card said on this episode, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Well, no one really knows. How many licks does it take to get the center of a weak society? No one really knows that either. And while we're talking coronavirus, um, an interesting clip was sent to me earlier today, and I'm going to share that with you all. And it is simply just what it looks like outside of Sam's Club. So let's take a look at this. I know. Uh, you should take pictures. And for those who may just be listening, there is a line all the way around Sam's Club. And I'll play that again. It's a very short clip, but this is early in the morning, about 9 a.m., and there's a lot of people just waiting to get inside. We'll go back to it. And this is about 9 in the morning. You can just see the line wrapped all the way around. And personally, when I look at this, I'm thinking, you know, why would you even want to go in Sam's Club at this point? If there's that many people wanting to get in there, surely there's nothing left on the shelves. But nonetheless, this is where we're at. And this reminds us that both as individuals and as a species, we really are in a moment in time where where we have a hard time finding the truth. And this is something which is indicative of how weak our society has gotten. I think in the midst of this corona shutdown, we're going to find a lot of idols being exposed. And I hope that that really is the case. I hope that we have a lot of idols exposed so that we can move to a better place as a people and recognize that that requires the power of God. Because both as individuals and as a species, we are incapable of rising above sin. We cannot truly cleanse and redeem our souls, and it takes the power of God to do that. The idolatrous God of the age is teaching us that the same thing applies to truth. We prefer the endless flow of partial information to any deep dive into the truth. If we cannot have absolute agreement with one another in just a few moments of loaded statements, then we lash out against one another. The sin nature that has been with us since our most ancient ancestors entertained the verse sin, it is something which it does affect how we are responding to this whole situation with the corona situation. It, it is something which runs through our veins, and it's very important that we, we start our understanding of the world with that recognition. So this hatred for the truth and this love for pleasurable information that is not a new development um, towards anything, that in and of itself is not new to our kind. It's something which has been with us for a long time. And that being said, one of the things that is unique to our kind is that in the current day and age, we do have a very short attention span and a very small tolerance for anything that makes us uncomfortable. Our attention span um, it compounds the fact that our society does not permit deep discourse. Again, you look at the news, there's not a lot of deep conversation going on there. Um, most of it is just regurgitating of about three seconds worth of information over the course of an hour, and there's no real substance there. And this is a big problem. One of the things that the coronavirus is doing is it's calling a lot of these chickens to come home to roost. Our short attention span, it compounds the fact that we as a society do not permit deep discourse. And this really, really is a bad thing because when we lack a vehicle for critical thinking and discourse, well, then everything is going to be weakened. And this happens because we are not being transformed by the renewing of our minds as God has commanded us. So 
I hope that as a result of the corona shutdown, we will see a lot of the idols in our society fall. Now, I'm not totally sure that that'll happen because, again, we like to be idolatrous. We like to, well, we, we don't like to, to take up the personal responsibility of being an individual who needs personal transformation. We like to pass that off. We like to be comfortable. But I do hope that as a result of the corona shutdown, we will see a lot of idols in our society fall. And I will say this while I'm on the this this moment of idolatry, we should use great caution in this moment. And I'm not just talking about great caution with the virus itself, but also with how people are going to capitalize on this moment. Genesis 4-7 reminds us that if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Scripture has been trying to tell us for a very long time that sin is predatory. It has a conscience. And just like there are people out there stocking up on toilet paper to sell it at a higher price and, you know, whatever it may be, hand sanitizers or Listerine, anything with alcohol in it, there are also people in our government looking to take advantage of this moment and inflict tyranny on us. Evil has a motive. Um, I hate to have to, to specify that, but evil has a motive in our world. It's had a motive all along. So many times we want to say, well, we're hip, we're modern. We know all of those things can be explained. Um, and we find ourselves then being subject to sin because the truth is, is that evil is crouching at the door. It is predatory like a predatory animal. It wants to have you. Its desire is to have you out there on the camera. It's out there desiring to have me. It wants to have all of us on the individual level and on the collective level. And Scripture has been trying to tell us this. Evil has a motive. And I know in our modern society, we like to pretend that nothing really is willfully evil. It's only a, a, a inconvenience when things do it. They're just misunderstood. But it's not true. It's all a lie. We've been trying to tell ourselves this lie. But the truth is, evil has a motive. And we need to be spiritually mature and personally fortified in this moment so that we don't just go along with whatever we are told because this is a moment where wicked things are going to try to capitalize. You see it with people buying up hand sanitizer, um, not just people being prepared, but all people trying to, to extort and do things which aren't right. And you also see this with the way the government's going to react to this and on the global stage as well as the national stage. So it's just something really important to think about. So... One of the things that's also going on right now during this coronavirus shutdown is we are going to find out what truly is important in life. How serious are we about different things as a society? And, you know, what issues do we actually take seriously? So much of the, the public discourse has become nothing more than mere theater. It's a game of a public play where people come out and they, they do their virtue signaling where they say, oh, this is the issue. We need people to look like this and that. And nobody's actually doing anything of substance. It's all just a big sham show and it's fraudulent. And I'm kind of happy to see all of those things fall. But at the same time, it needs to be replaced with something which is godly and something which has the providential order of God behind it. And one of the things that this is a reminder of, and one of the reasons why I am suspicious about a lot of the things that you see on the news and whatnot is not only are these people a lot of times not medical professionals, but they have a strange new interest in life. And as a society, we do not care much about life itself. We may attempt to sanitize how we think about the world, you know, and, and act like, well, we act like God is not out there and we act like the truth of our morality is not out there. We have tried to sanitize how we think about the world. And this, again, it's been an attempt to remove God, to remove the truth of morality. And while there may be some in the Church of the Nazarene who think that we idolize life, I don't know how you could ever make a statement about that in 
in our society. We might be uncomfortable about talking about death, but that certainly doesn't mean we idolize life. Um, rather, we just live in an era where the idolatrous God of the age has taught us that it is good in life to avoid suffering and inconvenience. It's painful and inconvenient to talk about death, so we just don't discuss it. But I don't know how you could ever make a case in our modern day and age that we idolize life. Um, our society it tolerates the um, our society tolerates the killing of over 2,000 children a day via abortion. We send our parents and our grandparents out of our homes to nursing facilities, and we perpetually indulge in destructive debaucheries. Um, we pretend as if hatred can only go in certain directions, and that only people of certain races and stations in life are capable of sin. And our society, if we're honest, it does not. Uh, it doesn't idolize life at all. Rather, it just tries to sanitize the truth about life and pretend that there is really nothing sacred about life at all. As, as people, we must look at what this does to our society because, again, the coronavirus, it is causing a lot of chickens to come home to roost. And one of the things that this reminds me is that we have been weakened as a people. Um, we, we are weakened when we shy away from the truth of God's commandments, and we are weakened when we shy away from the fact that life is sacred and we're all given the precious gift of the breath of life. All these things that I've talked about, whether it be the issue of life and how we respond to, to death, all of these things, if we look at our society, they're all desperate and they aim to comfort people in their life choices rather than challenging them to rise above depravity. Our society would rather be passive and hold a debrief session than to discuss our you know, deep topics. We would like to hold a debrief session to discuss our feelings rather than be assertive and give people aspirations and tools to actually handle life. And we do this because it's easy and we can avoid telling the truth that we can only rise above depravity with the power of God. And of course, saying that you can only do that with the power of God is a taboo concept and it's unacceptable in our sanitized public discourse. And as we spend time wading through these unknown waters of the coronavirus shutdown, we will either spend time figuring out what is important or we will just, you know, lock down the hatches. We will become more and more ardent and our fists shaking at God. As Christians who have been regenerated by Christ, we are then put in a position where we have a choice. We can follow our Lord and remember that he is on the throne, or we can listen to the idolatrous God of the age. And... If we're going to listen to God, then we have to realize that God's commandment and institutions truly are good for all of us. The family, where man and woman come together in marriage. This is the oldest institution that God has given us. It bears power to produce children, and it dawns the responsibility of caring for the older generations. Um, family, it is a beautiful thing. And if we're honest, it is one of the most important things in life. The church when the church is being the church, it is an institution built around the family structure where we recognize that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the more we get passive as a people, um, the more we allow people to identify themselves as anything other than being children of God, the more we're going to find societal decay, the more we're going to find society collapsing. You know, that that picture out there of the, the owl, Mr. Owl, you know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? How many times does the church have to be passive and let people do things which are actively destroying a biblical worldview? Are we going to let that happen? You know, this is one of the things. It's, it's a natural pathology. There's a progression towards chaos whenever we allow things to, to happen and we don't even take any stand. You know, I'm not asking us to be tyrants to go out and, you know, force people to do stuff. I'm just asking us to be 
firm in our convictions and to know who we really are. When we look at the, the world around us, God has given us great institutions and great commandments. And they, they actually are good for the betterment of mankind. I know we, we live in the sanitized world where you it's, it's, you it's too politically incorrect to even say the word mankind, let alone think about anything for more than two or three seconds. Um, the church is an institution that is built around the family structure. We recognize we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and the more passive we are about this and not asserting that people should not be identifying in anything other than, than being a child of God, the more we're going to find collapse. And just as the family was designed with a purpose, the church is also designed with a purpose. Men and women are designed with a purpose. Its members complement one another and come together to do great things together. And as we endure the sufferings of fallen creation, and we endure the sufferings of fallen creation, we don't just simply avoid them, we find that God calls us to a much higher place that none of us are able to achieve on our own. And as a society, we are discovering that you cannot appreciate the design of the family or the design of the church if you do not first love God. Loving God and his providential designs is foundational to how we operate as a society. It's foundational to having a moral compass that truly understands good and evil. As Christians, we must be stewards of the gospel. And again, this doesn't mean that we're tyrants because you can't force faith on others, but it does mean that we are assertive. And this is one of the other big problems we have in our society. We live in an era of false choices where, one, you must either choose to be a tyrant or be a pushover. There's no middle road. There's no straight and narrow path that goes through the middle. And, of course, as Christians, we know this is just all complete manipulative tomfoolery where people are trying to dismiss anything that doesn't just enable them and affirm whatever sinful desire they want to get in, whether it be lust, whether it be debauchery, you know, name it. Insert sin here. Of course, this is not the Christian way, and it's not a methodology of mature reasoning. As Christians, we understand that we are called to walk a straight and narrow pathway, and it's straight and narrow for a reason. Christ never said it would be easy to communicate from one port to the next along the way of life. Um, today is the day after St. Patrick's Day, and I'd originally planned on giving a whole St. Patrick's special here at the church. We were going to do some different interactive things. But the coronavirus uh, shutdown has changed a lot of our plans. I mean, you can look at our studio now. It's, um, it's just me here in the studio today. Um, the full gang and anyone's not here. Um, not that they normally are on Wednesday anyway, but at least Anthony's here, but... Today, again, things are, are just quite different. But the same will be with, with church tonight. I'm sure there will be many out, even though we're still holding service. We've sanitized everything in the church, and we're going to limit what parts of the building are used. But I do want to talk about St. Patrick a little bit, because he talks a bit about poison in a way that is very relevant to where we're at as a society and where we're at with things being exposed with the, the truth of the coronavirus. Um St. Patrick, while he was serving as the bishop to Ireland, he wrote a letter to a soldier named Caroticus. And this is worth our discussion. Now, if you're not familiar with Caroticus, don't feel overwhelmed by this. Um, even historians are not entirely sure with all the details of Caroticus. But all you need to know is that he was a soldier and he was in charge of some other soldiers. And Caroticus, he had done the wicked deed of capturing Irish people and carrying them back to Britain as slaves. Now, of course, St. Patrick himself was a Briton who had been captured in his youth and taken to Ireland as a slave. And now, when Patrick sees this happening in reverse as the Bishop of Ireland, he's watching this and he's looking at it. And, you know, he was taken as a Briton to Ireland as a slave. And now he's watching the Irish taking to Britain as a slave. And he looks at this and he realizes this is all just absolutely wicked. 
And when St. Patrick, he writes a letter to Caroticus, the soldier who was in charge of capturing these people as slaves, um, he, he's writing to a man who has done wicked things to St. Patrick's flock. And Patrick, he calls out Caroticus for this, and he says, and this is a direct quote from, from Patrick's letter to the man, he says, These miserable men, they do not realize the food they are offering to the children and friends is in fact a deadly venom. They are just like Eve who did not realize she was feeding death to her husband. This is how all evildoers are. They work death as eternal punishment. And again, that's Patrick writing to Caroticus about Caroticus. So these, these miserable men that he's referring to there, it's Caroticus and his men who are taking others as slaves. He says, you all, you are working death. The, you, you are someone who has made a job, a vocation out of working death and doing deadly things and things that are wicked. And you've been going home to your families, your friends, you've been handing this stuff, and you've been thinking it's all good and wonderful and cute and fuzzy, but in the truth, it is death. You are feeding people death. And Patrick is reminding us that there are people in this world, and they're still here today, who will work in death. In their folly, they think they're doing something good. And a lot of these people sincerely think they're doing something good. Either they've justified it, if they have ignored it, who, who knows? But they believe they're doing something good, that they're sharing food with their friends and loved ones. You know, just as Eve in the Garden of Eden, she looked at that fruit and she came to the conclusion that it was good for food. Um, but of course she was wrong. But she wasn't wrong because she came to the conclusion that it was good for food. If you just look at it as a piece of fruit, I'm sure she's actually correct that it's good for food. But the truth is a lot deeper than that. The truth is much more than it's just a fruit. There's something else there. She didn't have the truth of the whole situation. She wasn't telling the whole story. To judge the fruit as a piece of good food was only to have partial information, something we really like in our culture to have partial information and never go any deeper than that. When Eve didn't have the full story, she ended up feeding death to her husband and, of course, to herself. The truth that she was beholding was death, but she did not want the truth. She just wanted the partial information that this was good food. And we live in a day and age where people love that partial information. They don't want to get any deeper than that. They like the constant flow. They don't like to have to think critically about stuff. And it really, really is sad. And we ask the church, this is... This should be our domain. When we look throughout history, the church has always been very ardent in our pursuits of things which are philosophical, things which are medical, things which are, are aspirational, looking to build up society. But somehow, we as Christians, we've allowed ourselves to just take a back seat and kind of wring our hands and say, well, you know, that's not our domain. Listen to the, to the governmental officials and, you know, obey the laws of the land and stuff like that. And we forget, you know, in ancient Rome— it was actually in law that you had to to worship the gods of Rome that were or, uh, sanctioned by the god of, uh, or the officially sanctioned by the the um, by the Roman Empire. Um, Jesus and his followers they do not just follow blindly all the laws of Rome, guys. Like that's historically not true. Um, it's it's just not. Um, they follow the laws of God because those are what really matter. What we see happening in this letter, and why I wanted to bring it up, is Patrick sought to excommunicate those who made a living out of working death. St. Patrick, his message, it's not one that ends with condemnation, but he did seek to excommunicate people. He said, this has got to get out. We've got to be serious about doing Christian living if we want to be serious about Christian living. His message, it is worth noting that it does not end with 
condemnation, although he spent a great amount of time pointing out that if people walk away from God, they have rejected God. Patrick's message ends by saying the following. He says, It is my desire that everyone serves God and that everyone who does serve God will deliver this letter, that it will be read aloud with strength before all people, including where Caroticus himself is present. Caroticus is the guy who captured some, some people for slavery. That even he, in his late stage, that at this late stage, he will repent of his most heinous crime, the killing of our Lord's brothers. Again, St. Patrick has this understanding that this is, it's wicked, it's not right. And Patrick wants him to repent. Patrick desired repentance for those who worked in death, that they could return to the church if they got their hearts right with God, but until then they were cast out. The church is a serious place, and we should not be tolerating those things which shake their fist at God and come here to be destructive and to destroy things which are are righteous. We are called to walk a straight and narrow path, and that is no easy task. So, now I want us to change gears a little bit and actually get into some scripture. I know we, we looked a little bit at Genesis 4-7, but I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Our world has many people who work in death, and while we're in the middle of the corona shutdown, we are going to be at a place where we have to figure out who we really are. It's a moment where we realize that society is just a few licks away from, from being weakened and collapsing and things of that nature, but we have to realize that personal responsibility is important and we have to be lights of the gospel. There are going to be a lot of people who work in death and our responsibility is to do the things which God has called us to do. And I want to walk you through a scripture that I've had some issue with translating and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. So if you have hung with me through this part of the program, you're going to get to have some insight into how pastors deal with stuff. And I'm not claiming to be a Greek scholar or anything like that, but I do spend a lot of time trying to read the, um, the Greek and learning with it as I go through the New Testament. And I want us to look at this verse. And let me just share with you real quick what the NRSV translate this, translates this as, and then I'll share with you my translation. And I think it's really important to where we're at right now. So 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 from the NRSV reads, As in the case of the God of this world has blinded the hearts, or excuse me, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, again, that translation. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it's, it's a very straightforward verse, and I want to share with you now my translation and, and let you see how I got there, and showing how I got there will help understand how this is so relevant to where we're at as a society. So my translation of this is, The God of the age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to negate the radiating illumination of the good news of the divine presence of Christ, who is the image of God. And I'll read that one more time for you. The God of the age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to negate the radiating illumination of the good news of the divine presence of Christ, who is the image of God. So, breaking this down, and if you're here to to track along with this with me, the Greek phrase does not actually use the term God of the world, as it is commonly translated in English. Rather, it uses the phrase theos to eonos, and Roughly in English, that would translate as God of the age. That word there, aeon, which means age, is where we get our English term eon. So this literally says in the Greek, the God of the age. 
And the reason why I find this to be so important is whenever we hear the word um, God of the age rather than God of the world, it does make it a bit more personal. Whenever we hear the term world, we tend to think of the other, something that's distant, whether it be geographically or physically distant, um, or maybe just something that's just distant as far as time is concerned. Maybe we think of it as the collective state of humanity, where everyone is involved a little bit, but no one is really personally involved in it. However, when I hear the phrase God of the age, it reminds me that this idolatry spirit, it is personal. It's something which is relevant to you. You as a person, and myself included, we're not special. Our culture is not unique. We're not the exception where this text doesn't apply to us. It applies to each and every one of us. It applies to you where you live and the time that you're living as much as it does in the time of the past. And this next phrase that I find in this verse is, is really where the struggle comes for me. So, so forgive me as we walk through this. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but as a, a pastor, I like to, to look through the Greek and, and try to get a good translation on stuff. So after finding that the God of the age is trying to blind the mind of unbelievers, we get the Greek word may, which means it's a simple negation. It kind of means like no or not in English. Not only this is an easy thing to, to translate, but I've, I've struggled to really capture its placement in this verse. So whenever I struggle with translations to capture things, I just gross motor skill, get a little bit crude in my translation. So since it's a word that means negation, I've just used the term negate. The God of the age is blinding the minds of unbelievers to negate something. And so the next question we have is, what is that something being negated? The NRSV translates this as, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And now, that's not bad, but I feel we could actually do a better job in representing how the original text is describing the gospel. I, I personally feel that the phrase translated in the NRSV is to keep them from seeing the light is done a lot more justice when we actually bring out the radiating illumination because that, that's what's actually there in the Greek. The, what is going on is this God of the age, it is trying to negate the radiating illumination. The gospel, the good news, it is illuminating like a lighthouse. It has radiance, and the text is trying to tell us that. It's not just about being blind or unaware of something, but it's actually about trying to negate a radiate illumination from a lighthouse in the midst of a violent storm. We, if you, you go around the world right now, we, we really have two poles of what our society looks like. It either looks like this, where you go to Sam's, where there's, you know, crowds like crazy, um, or it looks like this over here in our studio, where... Um, you know, the studio is, is mostly empty aside from myself. And in fact, the church is mostly empty. There's only one other person in here with me right now. Um, we're torn between these poles and we need that radiant illumination in our world. We need that lighthouse in the midst of the storm. And I feel like second Corinthians four, four, it does such a wonderful job of telling us about that. But many of our English translations have failed in, in portraying that. It is telling us that the good news about God being present with you, it is that lighthouse that's radiating in the world, but there's something trying to stop it. Earlier when I was talking about that conscious evil, whether it be someone hoarding toilet paper or alcohol, um, disinfectant, or maybe it's just some government official trying to inflict tyranny on you, that the God of the age that takes possession of people because it does have a, a motive, there is actual motive with evil and sin, it wants to blind us from the radiant illumination of the gospel, the good news. 
And in that final portion of this verse about the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, I, am rem- I want to remind us that gospel literally translates as good news. And in the context of the image of a lighthouse, I like to emphasize the good news. Um, and using that little translation meaning good news. So the gospel, it's good news. And when you're in a deadly storm, you want to hear good news. Glory, the other word in there, it also has a literal meaning. It literally means divine presence. And this radiant light that brings you the good news that God's presence is with you. That's that's the good news. God is with you. When Christ is with you, God's presence is with you. For Christ is the image of God. With so many people working in death, we need the lighthouse telling us that God's presence is with us. Now, normally I like to use a lot of church jargon, but with this particular text in 2 Corinthians 4.4, I enjoy the very literal translation of both the word glory and gospel, reminding us that God's presence is with us. Um, That's good news. Even as the God of the age is trying to blind us, God's presence is with us, and we have that good news. And it's an illuminate, radiating lighthouse of light coming to us. So the coronavirus shutdown, it has been revealing a lot about our society. We are finding out what is serious and what is not. And we are being reminded that finding good sources is difficult, if not completely impossible. The God of the age has a hold on people and it has a hold on our society. One of the reasons why we have so much confusion in our world is because it's not actually easy to find reliable information. The news media has cried wolf. We've had leaders in our country on all sides and all angles and all fields who have come out and they've only cared about ideology, but they haven't cared about any serious, deep conversation. And we live in this gotcha era where it's all about what can be said on Twitter or what can be done in 144 characters or less, and nobody is really serious about anything. But despite all of this, God is on the throne. The illuminating radiance of the gospel is with us. And that is good news. If we pay close attention, we can see it's beckon. It's beckoning. It's it's penetrating through the storm and calling out to us to walk with God. God is with us. And we should never forget that. We should never listen to the God of the age and think that we are forgotten. We should never forget that God has not forgotten us. As Christians, we must adopt the stance of St. Patrick. We should be assertive in teaching what is right. And be willing to excommunicating the things that are not of God. We should then extend the opportunity of forgiveness should people repent. Um, But we have to be assertive. We have to find that straight and middle pathway. The way of life, it's not easy, but it is steady and it will take us home. So let us be in continual prayer for our world and remember the things that are truly important. And may God bless us in all that we do. And as we close, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer, and if you would like to say it with me, I know a lot of people um, are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, so let's just close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. Um, Find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different places on Facebook. And if you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com. So that's Kingdom of the Logos. And with that, keep your heads on right. Keep God at the the top of your moral compass and never never let the God of the age pull you away from that. And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.